Our second scripture lesson comes today from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and we will begin reading at the 36th verse. Hear the word of God. It is given to and for you. One of the Pharisees named Simon asked Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to ask you. Teacher, he replied, speak. Jesus said a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. One 500, the other 50. When they could not pay, the creditor canceled their debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love the creditor more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water my, for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. But those at the table were with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. In her book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor tells of a story about visiting a beautiful old church in Alabama, just glorious. 
And having arrived for the service too early, she stood in front of the chancel, taking in a mural of Jesus emerging from the tomb. So she would have been looking up here at a mural of Jesus coming out of the tomb on Resurrection Day. Though the painting was impressive, Barbara Brown Taylor felt that something was off. Jesus looked strange, too waif-like. So after gazing at the mural in a bit longer, she realized what was missing. Jesus, the man, the grown man, had no body hair or nothing that looked like a man. He was portrayed with the head of a man, but with the body of a boy. It was curious. Jesus was coming out of the tomb, having hit the arms and chest of a six-year-old boy. A man's head with no mature or developed body, as if the painter were too embarrassed that Jesus, well, Jesus was a fully grown man. Taylor says that Christians, as Christians, we find ourselves in the curious position of being followers of the word made flesh. And yet we treat bodies with embarrassment and shame. Being followers of the word made flesh, we bristle when sensuality or sexuality make themselves known. No matter how hard we try to theologize or intellectualize it away, the story from Luke, this story, is naked making. It exposes, it confronts, directs our gaze in a new way. It's a story about the body and the body in movement, what the body is and what the body knows. Not just his body, but her body. Feet, tears, salt, perfume, hair, Neck, skin, face. And it's curious. Here we find a renegade backwater prophet wandering around Judea. Jesus has been sent to bring good news to the poor and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's been doing lots of things. He's been casting out spirits, unclean ones, curing people of diseases, healing on the Sabbath, and walking beside paralytics. Curious. And he's picked up some followers along the way, some ragtag vagabonds, some smelly fishermen, some hated guys from the IRS in Judea, and women too. And he drinks and he eats with offenders. He roves around like an itinerant schoolmaster. And he insists on people knowing about the love of God. 
And now, now it gets even more curious. A VIP religious leader invites the dusty Jesus to dinner. What better way to scope out a nomadic Jew, the one setting people's teeth on edge? What better way to scope out the new guy in town than to watch him over the rim of your wine glass? What better way to pin him down as you dig into your falafel and surround him with dozens of eyes and ears? It's such, oh, it's such a nice, pleasant meal. Except it isn't. Simon the Pharisee makes it pretty clear that it, this is not a polite fellowship over a four-star leg of lamb. Simon has skipped some pretty basic social graces. No water for the feet, no welcoming handshake, no hospitable kiss, no oil to tidy up the hair. It's as if Pharisee Simon is leaning against the doorway, his lip curling and saying sarcastically, Jesus of Nazareth. So nice of you to join us. Come on in. Or a little bit like Tony Soprano. Jesus, forget about it. Come on in. The guys are waiting. And then, then the most curious of all is this woman. We don't even know her name. A woman, a woman with an uncovered head, a woman with long hair, a woman with an uncovered head and long hair carrying a jar of ointment, a weeping woman with an uncovered head and, a long, and long hair carrying a jar of ointment. What I really want to know and maybe Eric Barreto knows this, since he knows all things about this gospel. What I really want to know, and you can tell us outside after worship, Eric, what I really want to know is how on earth did she get in that room? How did she manage to get into the house of a Pharisee? How does she crash this dinner party? Somehow she manages to get into the door and then to approach the table and to kneel behind Jesus. Can you imagine the reaction of the dinner guests? <laughs> this woman bends over Jesus' feet and then begins to cry, sob, and then soaks her, his feet with her tears. I don't even think she needed ointment. Her tears were enough. And then she caresses those feet, those dusty, those dirty, those well-walked feet. She caresses them and dries them with her hair, repeatedly kissing his toes, his ankles, his, his soles. Finally, she breaks open this beautiful jar and anoints his salty skin with perfume. To fully imagine this, 
and we're breathing life into this page of scripture. This uninvited woman enters the dining room and around the table, the conversation falters. Then it comes to an uncomfortable end. She begins to cry, oh Lord, a woman crying. The temperature inside the room rises. Every man simultaneously reaches for his wine glass. And as the woman wrapped Jesus' feet in her strands of hair, where did the men look around the table? Or they didn't dare to look. And I wonder, because Jesus teaches in this passage, he teaches with words and he teaches with actions. I wonder if his most important lesson here is that he captured Simon's gaze and hold it, holds it, extending the discomfort, forcing his host to imaginatively experience every kiss and every hair that grazed his feet. When we study the New Testament, each gospel tells about the woman at the dinner party. And each time, two things happen. She anoints Jesus' feet, and someone reprimands her. Each time, she, number one, she anoints Jesus' feet, and the second is someone reprimands her. And each and every time, there's an account of some dubious this woman, this dubious person who dares to love Jesus in the flesh, to love his spirit and his body with her own. Each writer might frame the story differently, but each tells of the remains and shows this story that is the most sensual, most scandalous of the New Testament. You know, historically, the woman who anoints Jesus' feet is known as a prostitute, also translated temptress and siren. Don't get me started. It's the same with Mary Magdalene, known as a prostitute. Where does the scripture say that? And I'm embarrassed to tell you that in our own Presbyterian worship planner, the subtitle of this one section of Luke, the, the, what was heard today read, this section is called Responses of a Pharisee and a Harlot. I kid you not, I could cry. Really? Truly? Is the sin of a woman perpetually carnal? Here's what we know. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. That's what we know. 
Well, that must be it. She's from the city. <laughs> She's a sinner from the city. She's an urbanite. Therefore, she must stand on the corner, whistle for customers, manage a transaction, and get to business. Really? Truly? That's curious. What we do know is that she says nothing and does everything. Unlike the other Gospels, here we find her act of anointing does not point Jesus to his future foreshadowing to death. Instead, in Luke, anointing is seen as an act of sheer hospitality, of utter generosity, of total praise. What we do know is that she is a generous person, a compassionate person, and a person in need of mercy. In the context of sin and forgiveness, Jesus reveals those who are forgiven little, love little. And those who are forgiven much, love lavishly. Simon's, Simon the Pharisee, well, his love is thin and brittle. He doesn't in any way recognize his need for mercy. And so his welcome to Jesus is miserly. And the woman, in contrast, knows full well the extent of her brokenness and her hope in the wide embrace of this man, this prophet she's heard about, the wide embrace of his forgiveness so that her love for him is boundless and extravagant. Oh, to have that much extravagant love for our Lord. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be marvelous? We pick up each day and extravagantly love one another and our world. Imagine to reach out to him through our shame and our regret and our sorrow and our remorse and all that guilt that weighs us down and our yearning, our endless yearning to have Jesus receive us with tenderness, graciousness, and gratitude. And that's where our Lord gets us. He understands us. He asks us, do you see this woman? Do you witness her? Are you looking at her? And, and it's a lacerating question from this text because no, we don't really see her. It, it would be too personal, too sensual. We can't imagine ourselves publicly kneeling before our Savior and sobbing and bathing him with our tears and cleansing him and offering him comfort. But here she is in all of her glory. And I say unto you, today she is our rabbi. She sets herself as an offering before her Lord. 
full of sin, she lays before him the gifts of her vulnerability and her generosity and her capacity for love. She breaks into that dinner party and lays bare the truth of need. Dusty feet that need some water, sun-baked skin that needs some fragrant ointment, the ever-sacrificing servant who is in need of care, the ever-healing Lord who is in need of a healing touch. Why, it's a sacrament. It's a sacrament of salt and dust and tears. It's a sacrament signed, signed and sealed through perfumed feet and kisses. And then, to her, like a benediction, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And he says to us, those in the sanctuary and everyone at home, he says to us, as we kneel before him, like a benediction, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace.